Hey, volume up, volume up. Everything about writing is exciting. The driving need to tell a story, the head-banging compulsion to make every word, sentence, and paragraph authentic. And most importantly, the magic that happens when the imaginary people in your mind become real to other people. That's where I come in. I'm Maddie Margarita, the host of Character Floss, an entertaining deep dive into the psyche of compelling characters and the authors who create them. My guest today is Matt Coyle, the award-winning author of the Rick Cahill crime fiction thriller series. Matt's debut novel, Yesterday's Echo, won the Anthony Award for Best First Novel, San Diego Book Award for Best Mystery, and the Ben Franklin Award for Best New Voice in Fiction. He's also Seamus, McCavity, and Lefty Award finalists. And Matt, have you left any awards out? No, I don't think so. It's some minor ones, don't matter. But I was the silver medalist for the Ben Franklin. There is a gold, I was silver. Just okay. Okay. I don't well, want to take responsibility. I don't want to take credit for something that wasn't okay. Well, yeah, I want to be accurate. Okay, so you also have a degree in English from the University of California, Santa Barbara. You live in San Diego with your yellow lab, Angus. And you have the driest sense of humor of anyone I've ever encountered. Oh, really? Yes. Hi, Matt. Thanks for being on the show. Well, thanks for having me after all this time when you didn't want to have me on. It's fun to be on. <laughs> well, I don't know if you know this, but you are actually my inspiration for starting this podcast. I think you need to aim higher. <laughs> well, listen, I saw you and Carl Bondaro at Sisters in Crime, Orange County, and I heard you interview with Pam last week on Authors on the Air Radio, or it's that global network, and I almost made it to your book signing at Book Carnival almost. last weekend. Almost. Yeah. All, that was all in the same week. So do I have to ask, how goes the book tour? Well, I think I should ask you, are you sick of me yet? And probably the answer is Not yeah. at all. Book tour is going actually really well. I, actually, I do it every year. I do what I call a pre-launch, I guess, at uh, Mysterious Galaxy in San Diego, usually within a couple of weeks of the actual pub date because we have books available and I always want to be first at Mysterious Galaxy because they've been very good to me over the years. They kind of birthed my career in many ways. So that was the 23rd of November. Then the 3rd of December, I did uh, Warwick's in La Jolla, and I always do my pub date talk there, and they're great to me as well. I love that place. And it was that was that we had a really good crowd there, really good. And then went to San Francisco over the weekend, if you want all these stats. I guess you just asked sure. where it's going. So it's going well. It's yeah. It went well. The next day, I flew home Sunday morning and drew, Saturday morning, and then drove up to Orange. And then tomorrow I'm flying to Phoenix. And I'm done until January. I pick up the second half. Wow. The life of a best-selling author. A selling author. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know what? We'll take that. All right. Let's get right into this. So we've known each other for, what, five years? Can that I'd be? Say, I'd say probably at least five years. I think, I think I could be wrong when I did Lit Up with right. you i don't know if i maybe it was the second book when i did the first lit up with you i'm not sure but and i think we knew each other a little oh actually you know where i met you was it's one of the orange county ones not lit up of course lit like orange what's that one the one in uh, it was actually in irvine for a while the same place they used to have men of mystery that hotel oh was it uh literary orange literary orange yeah actually i met right. you there when that's right. um and that might have been when my second book was out right night tremors so that's right. probably Almost six years, five years, five and a half. Yeah. Time, time flies when you're having fun. So in that time, I've noticed that you're not really the kind of guy who clamors for the mic or needs to be the center of attention. And here you are on a huge book tour promoting a crime fiction series that feels hugely personal 
and hosting Crime Corner, your own radio show. So how does that happen? Well, the first part about going on tour, actually what happens, and you probably know, is that when you put a mic in front of me or you put an audience in front of me, then I, the ham comes out, a lot of bacon. <laughs> and for some reason, it's getting worse as I get older. So I feel I, feel I sort of have to entertain, which is kind of weird sometimes, and maybe I shouldn't be talking about the book instead of trying to make it entertaining. But So that's just something, uh, I mean, I've always, I was always, I was a class clown a million years ago, but I wasn't really the, the class clown. Like you said, I was kind of the guy making wise-ass remarks, and maybe not to everyone, but I still get nervous for all book signings, but mm-hmm. I thought I was going to puke when I had the first one. I mean, <laughs> I mean, public, public speaking is, I could be a class clown because nothing was prepared. I just make a wise-ass remark. I didn't have to think about anything. It was kind of spontaneous, and that's where I'm at my best. So when I have to think about things, plan out, I get, I, I don't, I don't, that's not really my favorite thing to do. So yeah, I get nervous, but it's part of the gig. And I've come to enjoy it, learn to enjoy it. And regarding the show, Crime Corner, mm-hmm. I used to call in to Pam's show when she would have friends on because nobody ever calls into these shows. I don't even take calls anymore because no one really calls. But they listen. They're listening and they'll send notes by instant message or on, on uh, email or what have you. But I always wanted the author to know that there was somebody out there listening. So I would call and then, <laughs> then Pam would kind of give me too many questions. I'd try to get out. Because I didn't want to be um, hogging the time. Um, eventually, she, she said, hey, do you want to interview uh, Dave Putnam? I know you know Dave Putnam. Right. A friend of ours and a, a good crime writer. And so she said, you want to just do a show, interview Dave? And I, I did. And it's funny. I had a friend listen to it. And I, I thought I killed. I thought it was great. And uh, <laughs> she said, you said so 19 times or something like that. I think she counted up. Um, I still say so a lot when I'm interviewing people. However, I still have her says so. After that, Pam said, you want a show? And I thought, well, there's a big audience. It's an opportunity for people who don't know me to, you know, know me. I'm, I'm a writer. I'm trying to sell books. That's part of the gig. And so I took the job. I think it's been three years. I can't remember if it's been two or three. I think it's been three years. I said to do it. The whole the idea, I say I'm a lot too. The idea was to. Join the crowd. Yeah. It's funny. I don't listen to myself. I don't listen to myself anymore. What I wanted to do is I would just have people on I wanted to interview. And I've had some, some of my favorite authors on. And I only do it every couple of weeks. And, you know, as much as I want the notoriety and to find other readers, I try not to make it about me because I'm the host of the show and it's about the writer I have on. So right. there's work involved, as you know. There's, there's research. And there's, you know, you have to read. You want to read the book or as much as you can while you have other responsibilities. So I enjoy doing it. I'm not sure how much longer I'm going to do it. I'll probably do it for another year or so. But I'm not sure. Because it, it is a bit of a time crunch, but I like talking to authors I didn't know before, and it's been a lot of fun. And I get to interview Robert Craze, T. Devson Parker, C.J. Box. C.J. Box, yeah, that was great. Yeah, so it's a lot of a lot of good people. Okay, so you skipped over the the part of which is great. I mean, I love the answer, but you are not the most extra. We've and we've talked about this. You're not the most extroverted person I've ever met. But when it comes to your books and what you do and writing. It seems like you come out of yourself. Is that really you or is that just something that you put on? Is that the real you coming out? The excited you when you get passionate about books and talking about your books in particular? Or is hey that everybody, just- how's it going? <laughs> I don't know. I'll be here all week, folks. Yeah, that's right. Twice on Sunday. I'm sure we all have little compartments of different parts of our personality. Yeah, you actually hit on it when you said, is 
that's me. That's a passionate me. It's not necessarily just about my books because the revolving poker game that's all, that all the conferences I get a little animated yeah. too. Probably because I don't, have, I don't have much of a social life. And so when the conferences roll around, that really is kind of my social life. And you, you have a reputation for winning a lot. So that probably makes you feel better too. I probably started, I probably started that. You started that, well, that's good. Well, I am, and I am ahead in life. I am ahead of lifetime. That's, there's probably the fact that I don't, that when I'm in front of a group of people as well, as I said before, is that I don't have much of a social life really. So maybe that's all this pent up energy is coming out. But I try to, um, I think it's my responsibility to entertain to a degree. When I'm in front of a group, I don't want to make it boring. So I definitely am much more animated than I am normally. But I think, yeah. I think close friends might see me a little bit more animated than most people, but not much. How important do you think it is for readers to relate to authors? I think it's very important. I think that if you're a jerk, it's going to hurt you for sure. You can't afford to be a jerk. Maybe when you become a bestseller, you can become a jerk. I can be a jerk to my private friends and yeah, I know to my family. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, well, even <laughs> even uh, to, to, to to our level of friendship, whatever that is. I'm teasing. But you have to be nice. More people aren't. They're not going to. They don't know who you are, and they sit down and hear you talk, and you're arrogant. I mean, I'm sure I can sound arrogant in some ways, but usually it's a bit yeah. of a, part of a bit. You know, thirty dollars for a hardcover. Why, if you're kind of a jerk, why take the time? And I don't want to be a jerk in everyday life anyway. And I, right. there are times. And when, you're not. Yeah, you're not. You're fun to be with, and you are generous to other writers, and you're very sensitive to, I think, what readers are looking for in their books. So I want to talk also a little bit about something I heard you say about writing the great American novel. It, relating to, to write the great American novel, you have to really be able to relate to readers and to get to them on some level. Did I say that? How, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you said most of it, or at least that's what I heard. So yeah, yay. How did you end up writing crime fiction? And do you think you can, do you think the great American novel can be crime fiction? Well, the second part, absolutely. I think some of the, the best books I've ever read were crime fiction you know, by Raymond Chandler, among others, contemporarily, Michael Connolly, T. Jefferson Parker, Robert Crace, Megan Abbott. I mean, if you yeah. want really good writing. I read crime when I was a kid. However, when I did think I was going to write a great American novel when I graduated from college with a degree in English, which is good for washing dishes in a restaurant, which is I did shortly after I graduated, <laughs> and then worked my way up to manager. But I think the point... Um, when I said that in my bio somewhere about writing the great American novel is that I was 22 and I didn't have any experience in much of anything. And I think it took, if I would have started, I always um, think if I wish I would have started writing earlier. So I'd have maybe five more books now instead of a total of six, maybe I'd have 10 or 15, but it took me, uh, I didn't have exciting life. I wasn't a cop. I wasn't a doctor. I wasn't a lawyer. I wasn't a soldier. And it took life experiences to be able to tell stories, to be able to tell true stories of things you make up, to be able to have real emotion for maybe not specifically what's in the scene you're writing, but to have had enough life experience to know what the emotion can convey. Like I, I'm 60 years old. There's been loss in my family in my life. So I know what loss is like, and maybe I don't know someone shot in front of me or something like that, but I certainly know what loss feels like. And if you can convey that real emotion in what you're writing, then you're going to definitely connect with the reader. What you're telling doesn't have to be true and you don't have to have experience in it, although it's always great to do research, but you know, I'm not going to research shooting someone or have someone shot. Right. Um, but if you convey the real emotion, then you're going to tell a true story. Well, yeah, I agree with you on that. And when I read Lost Tomorrows, 
which is your latest book, right? There are now six books That's in right. the series. Yes. And your latest is Lost Tomorrows, which is a very, it feels different from your other books. In your opinion, humble opinion, how close is Lost Tomorrows to what you would think of as a great, if not the great American novel, but a great American novel? I can't talk about that, but I mean, I, I think it's a good book. I think it tells a story that need to be told for what happened with my characters, uh, Rick Cahill's life. It addresses, without spoilers, it addresses what happened to his wife, um, who was murdered now 14 years before, and he was arrested for the murder before the first book, Yesterday's Echo, was even put on the page. Rick's backstory, his wife was murdered. He was arrested, never tried, released, but never exonerated. And I think that to write, I was telling a group I was talking to the other night that I didn't want to write the book, this book particularly. I knew I had to write this book when I was writing the first book and realized I was writing a series. The whole th Rick's entire arc, his entire life journey, the impetus for it is the death of his wife and his feeling of responsibility for it. Without a dead ex-wife, there wouldn't be a Rick Cahill. There wouldn't be six books. But I, so I knew when I, when I decided when I'm writing this first book that I'm writing a series that I'd have to address that situation sometime. I did not want to address it now. I'd written a kind of personal book, Blood Truth, a couple of years ago that mm -hmm. right. examined Rick's father's situation. And I just actually lost my own father right before I started writing it. So for that reason, sure. it was a personal book, but among other things. I was kind of done with Colleen. Rick's wasn't. He never will be. But mm -hmm. she served her purpose. But I had to write a book, and I was under contract, and the clock was ticking. The only thing I can think of is what happened with Rick goes back to Santa Barbara and finds out what happened to his wife. And so I said, well, damn, everything's telling you, you got to write this book. And then when I started writing, I realized that I really wanted to write the book. It wasn't just the book I had to write because I was under contract and I was running out of time. It was the book I had to write because it, it had tremendous meaning to me and it, I wanted to write it. But I also realized that in order for me to do it right, that I had to think only about my continuing readers and tell the story this darkness that, that creeps into Rick's dark character and the darkness in this book for Rick is darkest as he's been. And yeah. I, I didn't want to have to explain so much why. I think there's enough there for new readers to understand, but I, I mean, Rick's makes some bad decisions all along the way, every book. And I didn't want to have to justify any of that. I wanted my continuing readers to understand this is, this is the darkness we have to go into for Rick to deal with this. And so I said, screw it. I'm writing the book that way. And I expected, not great reviews, and, and surprisingly, it's been the other way around. But it has, because I went through, and when before our interview, I went through your Amazon reviews. I was amazed at how many people are clamoring for your next book. They were waiting for this book. They're waiting for your next book. But then I also, uh, because they're invested in Rick, but then I also saw reviews from people that this is the first Rick Cahill novel that they've read. Right. And it was emotionally impactful for them, yeah. even though they don't have the history with Rick that maybe your other readers have. Right. So I think you were really successful in doing that. And I think you are attracting a huge readership. I mean, when you get glowing blurbs from like Michael Conley and Meg Gardner and our mutual friend, Joe Day and uh, T. Jefferson Parker and Hallie, Hallie or Haley? That's wrong. Hallie, right? Hallie. Yeah. Does that add pressure to you? I mean, aside from all the great reviews you get on Amazon and the people who are who are reading and enjoying your books for, for the story, but then you have your peers who are reading your book and loving it. How does that feel? 
Well, a couple things. First of all, you missed the New York Journal review of books. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. No, that's all right. No, it's, right, sorry, it's sorry, not sorry. on Amazon. It's not on Amazon. <laughs> but but if you really, but if you, I knew it. The best I'm, review I'm I've ever gotten. Best review I've ever gotten regarding the uh, the period. Well, what, tell us what that review said. No, so I'm not going to. It, it's uh, it's no, I'm not going to. I, I shouldn't have brought it up. No, it's a great review. <laughs> here's here's what's good. Here's what's good about the review, is that here's what's it's great to get. And I was telling somebody else that actually we know that reviews books, and I got a nice review from her. But when someone gives you a nice review, that's fantastic because it means something to you and it means something to your readers and your career. But when someone understand, they kind of tick off that they understand what you're trying to do and they really exactly. understand the character. Yeah. And that's what the New York Journal of Book, plus aside from some really glowing stuff, that was what was really cool about it is that when the guy, yeah, I'm trying to do this thing, I'm right here in a dark room, in, the, in a, although I'm in a writer's group, I'm, you know, the last half of the book, I'm basically writing in a vacuum. And for people, for, for, for people to see that I told what I was trying to tell is really cool. Regarding peers, of course, the game is, first book is published, you will know, understand that, and you probably already do, is that you have to go out and get blurbs. If you're a mid-lister like I am, you got to get them your own. Your own so you might get help from your publisher, but I, I've actually gotten every blurb I've ever gotten, I've done on my own because I've gone to book signings years before it was ever published or anywhere near getting an agent because I love mystery and I go and, and support the genre and I love listening to guy, the writers, male and female, I said guys, but male and female, talk about books. And so I get to know people that way. It's kind of your homework that you should be doing if you're going to get published, which you do well. But when the time comes, you have to get blurbs from other authors. And so that is always kind of a dicey thing. And I always say, because, yeah. you know, yeah. most like they're like Michael Connolly. I mean, there's nobody busier in the biz than Michael Connolly. So I ask if you have the time and if you like it, if you wouldn't mind saying something. But if you don't have time, understand. And if it's not for you, then I understand that, too. Don't feel like you're obligated to say something nice. Yeah, but please keep that to yourself. Oh, no, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Don't, don't go post that somewhere. <laughs> this jackass asked me to blurb his book and he can't write. Oh my um, God. Yeah. So I don't, the pressure I really feel is self, mostly self-imposed. I do feel, I definitely feel responsibility to my readership, however small or large that may be, that I don't want to disappoint anyone. And I do feel responsible to myself too. And, and with each book, say. well, I think I'm proud of all the work I've done. I think there's a level that I expect for myself. And so I, each book, I wonder as I'm finishing it, does this to reach the level that I, that I, I demand of myself. Right. And right. I usually have a question mark when that happens. I had a big question mark for uh, lost tomorrows about it, but that's after you read it a few times, you go, okay, this is pretty good. Oh, really yeah. Good. I have to stop you right there. Cause lost tomorrows is, is a great book. I mean, it aside story aside. I mean, the plot is great, but you have created such a relatable character and, an emotional character. He's not crying, but all the time, but yeah. <laughs> he's emotional in that he right. shares his feelings with us and we experience what he's experiencing, which is a really hard thing to do on the page. Um, well, first person, so you're in his head, but yeah, he right. is, he does, he does, I mean, he's very emotional. That's the funny thing is that his sidekick or he's her sidekick. Which is really funny if people know you, but go ahead. <laughs> okay, yeah. yeah. But uh, I mean, he works with another PI sometimes, Maura McFarlane, who's actually the smarter one in the, in the, in the relationship and the working relationship and really the less emotional, the one who sit, can sit back and think things over while Rick wants to go with his gut all the time. But I mean, I decided that's the character I'm going to draw. That's who I'm going to make. 
but you know, if you're in his head, you have to know what's going on. And so, yeah, I do. Um, he's an emotional guy. He, he um, frets a lot about things he does mm -hmm. and then still does them. Yeah, that's a, that's the Irish part of it. That's right. I mean, yeah, ex exactly. So where did he come from exactly? Well, less and less for me as I wrote him. Mm -hmm. I think I've told this story, so I don't know if I want to bore you or, or listen yeah. to you. But, uh, You're never boring. Well, we'll see. <laughs> The very first writers conference I went to, which is Southern California Writers Conference, it's they do LA and San Diego, and they used to do Palm Springs. I'm not sure if they put that back in rotation, but this was probably I don't know, 17, 18 years ago, and it was here in San Diego, Mission Valley, and they had a. I think I was done with my first draft or close to, but there was no way was I beyond first draft. So they have reading critiques. All these most of these conferences you go to, you have the opportunity to for a nominal fee or not so nominal. You mm -hmm. send in uh, however many pages they let you ahead of time. Th back then, it was 30 pages at this conference. I mean, now you're lucky they'll do five, 30 right. pages. Right. So an author, San Diego author named Alan Russell, who's having some really good success at Thomas and & Mercer. And I'm very happy for him, real nice guy. He and uh, Ken Colkin, another writer from San Diego, who's right. a great, great guy. And they're both actually friends. The funny thing is I turned in pages to three for three different fees and I got two guys who are actually friends, but. Anyway, so Alan said to me, he said, well, first of all, you can write. So I thought, well, that's pretty good. And he goes, this is autobiographical, obviously, and it's in first person. So the thing you have to think about is getting away from yourself. He says, every first novel is pretty autobiographical, and especially in first person. And he said, just think about, you know, going further outside yourself, because I haven't done anything in my life. That's the truth. So who wants to read about that? I mean, obviously, I was making stuff up, but the book was much lighter, and it was much closer to my real life. Um, yesterday's echo in that first draft and so I took that to heart and I revised and revised and revised and in between some of these revisions and I took classes taught by Carolyn Wheat in its revisions I would send out query agents and get rejections and ignores and all that but every time I'd revise again I, I got further and further away from myself and I told this story a million times somewhere at writing that first um, draft a line came to me that helped me find Rick Cahill which was when it became the first sentence to yesterday's echo, sometimes you have to do what's right, even when the law says it's, no, that's right, that's the wrong one, hold on. The, the very first sentence, to, I have two slides, actually. <laughs> They're very important, actually, both of them. This one was the one that clued me in. The first time I saw her, she made me remember and she made me forget. This is Rick when you mm -hmm. see Melody Milana in it. So that became the first sentence to the first book. But the importance to me was, and like I, I don't know where it came from, the ether, subconscious, which is a much better writer than I am. That sentence made me think, well, this, there's real darkness in this guy's past. He's had much more darkness than I can ever, I've had or can imagine in my own life. And he desperately wanted to find some joy in his life, but he, he really could not get away from his past. And that, with that, I started to realize, yeah, this guy's much darker than I've been writing him. And so, like I said, with every revision, he got darker and darker. But, you know, it, with that darkness, there's also humor. Yeah, there's a little bit. In that. I mean, his, whether it's, dark humor or whether it's your humor sneaking in and circumstances or characterizations, there's some balance there. There's, all, uh, I guess I was thinking, how do you balance plot with the characterization there? Because people say, well, is the book plot driven or character driven? Oh. Well, yours is definitely character driven. Yeah, that's easy for me, yeah. Right. How do you balance the story with the character, characterizations? Right. Here's where I, I when I'm writing a, a Rick book, now he's a private investigator. So obviously he takes a case and that's what the story, that's what the book's about. That's the main plot line. For me, 
that has to have there ha Rick has to be emotionally connected to the case. Now it may not start that way. It may become apparent to him later. And then, then with that, I get the plot is actually driven by Rick's character and the decision he makes. Now there's an inciting incident and it may happen before he actually takes the case or what have you. But, but the things that what I try to think about is what would put Rick in a bad situation here? What bad decision could he make or what decision would he be forced to make that would make life difficult for him? And from there, the plot comes. Obviously I have an idea, somebody dies, obviously. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a lot of people die around Rick. He's not, he's not a, exactly a good luck charm. No, he's definitely not, but the body count's not huge, but it's definitely, but, from standing back and looking at it, it's certainly not realistic, but in each book, it makes sense. I mean, I obviously know there's a dead body, and generally I know who did it, and I don't maybe not know the circumstances, but so I know where I'm going, I know I have to get there, but in between, I have to put obstacles in front of Rick, and I have to, emotionally damaging to him to go over, as opposed to just some fun twist. So there ha it has to be personal to him, or it's not that interesting to me, and I wouldn't think it'd be interesting to my readers too. So instead of having some great outline plot, which smart writers do, or but everybody's different. Honestly, right. Mr. it's 50-50, which is right. amazing. Right. I always thought it would be like 90-10 outliners, but it's not. So I I'm just trying to put him under pressure and have force him to make decisions that have ramifications. So that's really, I mean, it sounds stupid, but that's how my plots occur. I mean, I know this has to happen. How can it affect Rick? What will Rick have to do? How can I make this affect Rick in the most emotional horrific. way? Yeah. Yeah, horrific or emotional. Right. And so right. from that, I build the plot. But I, you know, the, like the skeleton's basically there, but I hang the emotion on it. So that's where I have to find the, the link, I guess. Yeah, well, and you do, you do torture him um, significantly throughout these, particularly when it comes to women. Yes, which, and you do a really great job of writing women. Thank you. But can you talk a little bit about his relationships or inability to have relationships with women in this and, and what, how that fits into his overall character? Yeah, well, uh, his first wife, like I said, his first wife, his only wife, Colleen was murdered before yesterday's Echo ever started, and he feels responsible for it and for reasons that will become apparent when you read any that book or even this book because this is kind of bookend to the first to yesterday's echo right. lost tomorrows but great so, title by the way but go ahead uh, thank yeah. you so he feels responsible for his wife's death and that has screwed him up with any kind of relationship he gets in with a woman he doesn't feel he has a right to be happy in a relationship I mean, this dude needs some help and he's never gone mm -hmm. to a psychiatrist obviously so he gets in some relationships he's made some bad choices with some women He's not the kind of guy who is a jerk about it because even oh. when his ex-girlfriend calls on him, I can't remember which book that was, yeah, for help. Blood Truth. Blood Truth, right. He's there. He shows up. Right. You like him. And he shows up for his ex-partner even when she's gone. So what is it about the character? How do you come up with the women in his life? I mean, what sorts of characteristics do you think that they need to bring out what you're looking for in Rick or augmenting his character? That's a good question. I never thought about that. Kind of come organically. I think initially when I was writing yesterday's Echo, I had Colleen way on this pedestal, kind of a, in my mind. And not too much on the page. I mean, anytime someone has lost a loved one, and looking back, obviously you think you focus on the things you miss the most, which are the great right. things about them. And so Rick certainly has that. And then with Kim, his girlfriend after Colleen, 
I had her a little bit on a pedestal as well. Maybe not as three-dimensional as, she got more three-dimensional as I wrote her more, I think, but just too nice perhaps. And then he met Moira. who's not a girlfriend, but is sort of a sometime partner, as a private right. investigator. And she was really the no bullshit. Of course, there's a few other women along the way. One who uh, knocks him out because she used to be an MMA fighter, kicks him in the face, knocks him out. Love it, love it first sight. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. But I want, she, his first introduction with Moira was, she was mad at him because she thought he'd stolen this case from her. And he didn't I mean, know, he, yeah. it wasn't his fault. He didn't know about it. But so she just was in his face and she's been in his face ever since, four books later. But she's kind of put, she's a little older than him, only a couple of years, but she feels, I think she feels like her stupid younger brother and he can't get out of his own way and she just can't stop being his friend. And he, he has tremendous affection for her and sort of a kind of a weird uh, big sister, but friend and uh, occasionally almost beyond that. But she's like the no bullshit. She's the one who's got, as I mentioned before, he goes by the, his gut a lot. She's four-sided, Rick's three-sided. She's got the exercise <laughs> that kind of, no, this is what we need to do. And so, and of course he goes with his gut and she tries to straighten him out and she's always there for him and he's always there for her but it's never been easy for her because of what he does. But I just wanted somebody really strong in that. I mean, she's the, she's been in more books than any other of the women, even though they and don't now, have a, And now I have Leah. And then, well, Leah is someone he is, right? that, yeah, is, comes yeah. about in, in Lost, Lost Tomorrow's. Tomorrow's right? Yeah. She is the sister of a dead cop, which is the reason Rick goes to Santa Barbara and things kind of involve, unfold from there. But uh, yeah, and she's, they kind of come together in, in a desperate situation where they're both feeling, I mean, Rick's back in Santa Barbara where his wife died and he's a pariah and her, she just lost her sister and by a hit and run car accident, but she thinks there's more to it. I mean, this is just for, for her. It's been only a week when Rick arrived, his sister's been gone. So there's a lot of, up, there's a lot of up right. emotion and that can bleed into over into other things. I just, things kind of evolve. Like once the character comes on the page, I really don't think about it. I kind of let that, I mean, that sounds stupid and woo woo, but sort of it's the subconscious working for you right. and you just right. get a character's personality and then things come out it's not like i can sit there and let everything happen but the women and the men any any character they sort of write themselves after a while even the bad people the bad ones mm -hmm. which are fun i don't know that didn't answer your question but i don't really yeah, no, I, don't, you, I, don't you even, I don't even want to think about it because it ain't broke yeah, you don't want to change it. Yeah. It. Yeah. 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 yeah okay so it's the kind of character who evolves he has evolved tremendously his character through the course of these books. Evolve or devolved? <laughs> well, maybe I think uh, both, it, depending on the book. But how do you see, or can you tell us, yeah. uh, what's in store for Rick? I'm not gonna say anything about anything, any future books. Uh, oh. Other than I just turned one in, come out next December. <laughs> I'm like, you have been consistently turning these books, I'm articulate, right? You're very articulate, yeah. I was gonna say. Uh, <laughs> see what I mean? You're a wise guy. You continually, turn out these books, quality books, in such a short period of time, especially considering the length of time it took you to write your first book. How do you do that? Yeah, I'm writing a book Besides a year. pressure I'm, and not brain surgery. A book yeah. a year, Michael Connolly does two every once in a while, so does C.J. Box. David Putnam writes them about four months. I know, uh, I know. For me, I do need time to, for it to all kind of uh, sit and sizzle for a bit. Well, I'm under contract and I, I just quit my day job at the end of last year. I, I wrote six books while having a day job. Wow. And the last four were every year. Yeah. One a year. You just get into a routine. I mean, it's really the number of words you just have. It's not that it's only, you can write less than a thousand words a day 
five days a week and you can have a first draft, let's say like 20, so that's, yeah, I mean, if you're writing a thousand, you can do in five months, you can write a first draft or you can do it in four months if you're writing more, if the book's not that long. And then you can take, you know, four months to revise. Generally, it takes me about nine months to write a book. Because you've turned the book in, the last one, you're on tour and there's trying to decompress a little bit. Right. But you're constantly marketing. So it generally takes me, if I turn a book in, it used to be at the end of December. Now, this one I just turned in halfway through November. But say I turned one in last year, turned this book in at the end of whatever year that was, 31st. Mm -hmm. And it takes a year for a book to come out. And then I probably for a month think, but don't really do anything. I don't write for a month, I'm pretty sure. And then September, I'm kind of dawdling around. I was going to say that four-letter D word with an ING. <laughs> kind of messing around and figuring it out. And I got time. Yeah. I got time. And then all of a sudden, those months start ticking away, and you got to up your word count. So I think the pressure makes you get there. The one thing people have asked me how my writing has changed, and it's gotten messier, but I definitely write better first drafts than I used to. So that's very helpful when you're under the time crunch. You know, you know, you're writing a first draft. There's no way this thing is good enough to be a novel. But it's better. I mean, there's not huge reconstruction. There's just a lot of cutting and then tweaking and then adding, but not like, well, this plot point doesn't make any sense. I mean, it generally doesn't happen. Who knows? We'll see when I get edits back from the one I just turned in. But so having a better first draft has really helped me. And for me, a first draft is the outline that other people write because I'll, and I've posted this on Facebook before, I'll say, I just spent all day writing a scene that's not going to make the book. And I saw that. Yeah. yeah and that, I have to run through this stuff to get there. And I'm very, when I'm writing a first draft, I'm very open to possibilities. I'll bore the audience some more with something I call dropping anchors, which is where I'll be writing a scene. Something will come out of the ether or my subconscious again, and I'll drop it in the scene. It may not make any sense. I mean, it's something way wild. It may be just a reaction Rick has to something that I don't really know why he reacted that way. And then I'll just keep going. And maybe by the time I'm finished writing that day, I'll have understood what it meant. Maybe I don't understand for a week or two or maybe I never understand, then I have to go back and pull up anchors. But I'm always open to those situations because 90% of the time, if I'm not pulling the thing up, they somehow get me to a greater insight of what I'm trying to make this book about. And so I'm very open to that. I'm very trusting in that sort of thing, which is funny because I'm not really, that's sort of against the way I normally am thinking about, wow, I'm subconscious. <laughs> So I'm open to that, and so, but that can lead you down the wrong track at times. I just have to live with that. Like my first draft will generally be, uh, I think this one was about 105,000 words. And this, the book I just, yeah. turned, one I just turned in. And it ended up being under 90,000 words. It's the shortest book I've ever written. I think it was like 88,000 words. This was the one I turned in just recently. And I think for Blood Truth, I think my first draft was 120,000 words. Yeah. And uh, I ended, ended up being about 103 or something. That's cutting, I'm not just cutting 17,000 words, I'm probably cutting 25 to 30,000 words and then adding more as I revise, so anyway. That whole process sounds really painful. So you know what's in store for Rick. You've already written the next book. I don't, I don't know if there's anything in store for Rick. I've written the next book, I'm under contract for another book. And uh, say what oh. it was about. You have gotten this entertainment thing down really well. Yeah, that's a cliffhanger. Yeah, exactly. All right, so that, that sounds like a good place. Let's talk about what's in store for you next. You have a book, you're under contract. What are some of the things that you would like to see happen for Matt Coyle? I would like to make a living as a writer. I quit my day job, but I'm not making a living as a writer. 
I have exit strategy, which involves, well, we won't get about, we won't talk about what it involves. Selling your car and, oh no. Oh no, oh, no, 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 much harder than that. Oh my much, God. Much, much more definitive than that. I like I have a safety net, but I have some point have to make a living as a writer. So can I interject here? Anybody who's listening to this, please go out and buy Matt's books. Okay, go yes. ahead. Yes, or I'll die. <laughs> so I can make a dollar book. <laughs> now, okay, that's a painful reality that we All don't right, need so to share with everyone. Yeah. Well, they need to know the truth. Yeah. So, what was oh, your right. what was your question? I forgot your question. So, what's what's next? What would you like to see? Oh, what I'd like to see happen? Yeah. Well, I'd like to make a living as I'd like to have a breakout book. I mean, on a grand scale, and so I could make a living as a writer, make some real income. That's not the art of this. What we're doing. I mean, I want to write right. the best book I possibly can each time I write a book. But in reality, I need to. I want to be able right. to make a living doing this. I've right. reached some goals as a writer. But my ultimate goal is to make a living as a writer. I mean, a le real, a legitimate living as a writer. And I haven't done that yet. What is the significant goal that you've reached for yourself so far? That you set for yourself that you've reached? I think getting published was one. Yeah, I think that's the main thing. Starting out and getting I think I think with each book, with each book, I have certain selfish goals and hopes for some sort of notoriety or awards, something like that. But the most important thing that I mentioned earlier is to write the best book I can. And I never feel that I have when I'm done. Generally, I feel much better after reading it all the way through. Because usually when I'm in the middle of a book, I think, oh, I'm a fraud. I don't know how to do this anymore. I don't know how I ever did six of these because this is horrible. Right. And I don't know if I'll ever be able to write a book again. And I'm embarrassed that the publisher would have to see this and hopefully publish it or maybe not hopefully publish it. And then I read the whole thing through. I go, that's eh, not that bad. And then I revise and revise. And I think, well, I hope it reaches the level of my other books. And then by the time, not a year later, when the book comes out, I go, this book's great. <laughs> so. Yeah, you're ready for Netflix. <laughs> so I am ready right. for Netflix for sure. Yeah, I think Netflix should pick up your series. I would watch that every single time. But if it did, who do you see playing okay here? The woman who runs my writer's group, uh, Carolyn Weed, always... So often, I saw the lovely acknowledgement uh, yeah. in Lost Tomorrow, too. Yes, but go on. It's, it's true. She'll often ask writers in the group, who do you see, I don't know why she does this, but who do you see being playing this part? And I heard Robert Crace say one time that he doesn't know what Joe, not Joe Elvis, looks like. And I agree, I don't know what Rick looks like because I'm within Rick. I'm looking out, outward. I mean, I know his general physical characteristics, but I really don't know what he looks like and I really don't I don't really care. I mean, mm -hmm. so I'm looking outward from Rick. Some of the other characters, I have a better idea what they look like, but matching up actors and actresses is always tough. But I always had, this person always resonated to me for Rick. When I'm able to set aside the book and then look in the movies, I can see actors. in. I always, Mark Wahlberg, although he's too short and he's probably too old now. Mm -hmm. Because the one thing I yeah. like about Mark Wahlberg is that when he's playing the straight roles, he's not doing weird comedy is that I always feel like there's something that we don't know about him and there's some dark past kind of simmering underneath. And for me, that's perfect for Rick. So that, he always appealed to me that way. Beyond that, I don't really know. I think that if that ever does happen, it'll be some new actor that I don't know, which is fine. I mean, I really would, would love for that to happen, be, become a series, but I will have no say whatsoever in um, who's casted. Have you seen the, the trailers for Uncut Gems with Adam Sandler? No. Oh my God. You have to watch that. He, Adam Sandler? Yes. It is a dramatic uh, crime thriller where he is a gambler and 
He's involved with the jewelry business. Oh, and, I think I did see something on oh that. Oh my God, he is so dark. I saw the trailer. I went to see Ford versus Ferrari, uh -huh. uh, which was a great movie too. But the, I was blown away by the trailer for Uncut Gems. I mean, I spent an hour and a half or whatever watching the, the movie, but all I could think about when I left was that trailer. And he's so, he's so funny. My God, does he have a dark side. And that's what I thought of when you said Mark Wahlberg. Yeah. Because these comedians do have a dark side. These yeah. guys that can be so funny, right. that, that comedy comes from something that's really right. dark inside. So let's send that book to Sandler. Or he's too my, old for... I got my hand slapped on uh, sending books. Okay. All like right. That. Then I'm not going to send my copy to... However, I will... I will well, because I, I also found out I got a chance to meet my Hollywood agent at BoucherCon and had a great discussion with her. There's two of them, but I talked to one of them and really got a better understanding of what's going on. And I do know they're really fighting for me. There's been some sniffs here and there, but I'll tell you one quick story. <laughs> this is a couple of years ago. I don't remember what book it was, but I got this urgent email from her saying, Kimberly's in France, my agent. Can you get us PDFs for all your books? Because, you know, there's a, someone has a network deal and they're looking for content. They go, sure. So I got them all. I sent them off to her. And, uh, Art racing, you sent them off to her. Yeah, I've, I've <laughs> sort of, I've sort of kind of, I even, uh, even though I haven't had nothing, any kind of uh, feels for Hollywood, I do know how, the, don't yeah. ever get your hopes up. But I emailed her, but I emailed her like every two weeks and saying, asked, uh, so when do I get to make casting look, casting calls? But uh, <laughs> she, I, don't, I don't think she thought it was that funny. Yeah, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> That's really funny. Okay, so things are good for you, right? Sure. Yeah, we'll do that. And I am so looking forward to everybody reading this book. It is different. It struck me as very different from a lot of what's out there. It's quality work. Buy this book if you can. What's, and it, called, what's it called again? It's called Lost Tomorrows. Oh, okay. Thanks. A Rick Cahill novel by Matt Coyle. So, okay, one more quick question. Sure. What, what is that? I know you're going to be at Left Coast. So I'm going to see you at Left Coast Crime in March. What exactly does a Toastmaster do? Well, I don't know exactly what a Toastmaster does. <laughs> You're going to be the Toastmaster, I, right, at this I, conference. I studied Kathy Ace very closely when she was a Toastmaster at Vancouver. And I think that it, it basically they just tell you to do stuff and you get up there and talk. There's been an interesting Toastmaster host when I was at a conference mm. left coast one time. And uh, I know I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to be thinking I have to talk about myself. I'm the traffic director and they'll tell me what to do and I will do it. And hopefully I'll, I would like to interview a particular guest that's going to be there. And if I get to do that, that's great. And I'll probably be on a panel or two and maybe someone will interview me. But Are you taking a, a tour of uh, San Diego too? Well, I, hope so. I hope to. Yeah. That's kind of up in the air. It's, it's really, I think it's gonna be more or less La Jolla. The idea was Chandler's La Jolla. Uh -huh. And um, I was going to do Rick Cahill, San Diego. I've had this idea in my head for years before I ever knew there was going to be a left coast here. If people wanted to go on a, a Rick Cahill reality bus tour, if you've ever seen Seinfeld and the Peter <laughs> reality bus tour. I'm not sure if I'd have. Oh, my was, God. Was it Muffin Tops? Did he have Muffin Tops? Yeah. There? <laughs> I can tell you, I would be there and so would Barbara Howe. So at, at the very least. Uh, <laughs> Well, they're gonna, the idea, okay. and I'll, I'll be brief, is there. I think they're going to put them together. So that would be cool. And that makes much more sense to me if we did put them together. So uh, hopefully we'll do some of that. And I was actually talking to Ann Saylor at Book, Book Carnival yesterday about right. that. And 
how it would be cool and to even maybe stop at Warwick's and La Jolla to get to, you know, one of the oldest bookstores and independent stores in America. But yeah, so there's hope for that because there's some good locations that I've written about and it would be fun. But, well, I understand there's a whole train load of people from Orange County getting ready to go to um, <laughs> the left coast crime just to see right. it. I doubt that's the reason. <laughs> All right. Well, Matt, thank you so much for taking time to do this, for sharing your space and letting it into your head. Thank I appreciate you. it. And best of luck with Lost Tomorrow. It's a scary place to be. Well, thank you, Maddie, for having me. And thanks for putting up with me. I appreciate it. No problem. Okay. Links to Matt and his books will be listed in my show notes. If you're interested in finding out more about me, my writing and events, please check out the show notes as well. Thanks for listening. I'm Maddie Margarita, and this is Character Floss on Authors on the Air Global Network.